Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He's a two-time provincial silver medalist in high school. He went on to play at the UBCO Heat, where he was a CanWest uh, named, excuse me, named to the CanWest rookie team. He's led the conference several times in digs, and he's currently with our national team, and he's been a part of our junior national team. So he's making a home there in Gatineau. Please welcome to the show, making his second return to the franchise. He had a great episode on sharp cuts. Go back and check that out. But making his debut on Passing Dimes, Eli Riso. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so you were great on Sharp Cuts. This one has a little bit different feel. We we're just talking about you the whole time, but I thought you you brought the energy, you brought the the excitement. So you guys should definitely go back and check out Sharp Cuts. But just to kind of build your backstory a little bit, doing some research for the show, uh, I found out your dad was an All-Canadian and played at a, a pretty high level. So were you always a volleyball guy or what other sports were you into when you were growing up? Yeah, definitely, definitely primarily a volleyball guy. I grew up obviously just playing all the sports like as much as I could. Um, but from... I mean, as as long as I can remember, I, I've been playing volleyball. I got pictures of me playing beach volleyball when I was like one or two. Like just from from the beginning, it's always been pretty pretty volleyball heavy. Nice man. So obviously, it's a competitive program, and you're contributing to that. But maybe some of our listeners they hear UBCO and they go, "Okay, that's like a good team, but not a great team." So with you being like a provincial medalist in high school, having a good club career. What were you considering when you got recruited? Was it just important that you wanted to stay close to home or you liked the campus size or what you were going to study? Like, what else were you considering before you landed on UBCO? Well, so actually, it's kind of a funny story, but I actually didn't get recruited at all out of high school. Um, I didn't I didn't do any touring around and no schools talked to me. And I was actually fortunate enough that my cousin was uh, the head coach at, of the university at the time. Um, but I was setting out of high school. And so the, the deal was with him was that I... For the summer of my grade 12 year, he said, if you want to come play at UBCO, you got to try out for TBC as a libero. So obviously being that I wanted to, for me, it was pretty volleyball oriented. I wasn't super, wasn't super uh, school oriented at all. I, I always did enough to just make sure that I always could play volleyball and same thing in high school. But yeah, no, we, uh, there wasn't much of a decision process. I, I'm definitely a family guy and I, uh, I think I think UBC was definitely a place that I'd consider just like walking on to. Um, the deciding factor was that I didn't want my my parents and my grandparents having to drive to Coquihalla every every weekend I come down and watch because I know my dad is a pretty diehard volleyball fan, diehard supporter of me. I'm an only child, so he's uh, he's only got one, so kind of the whole focus is on me. So um, yeah, no, not much, not much of a decision process, more of a only option and. I was really fortunate to to come into a, a really good situation uh, there with a really, 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 really uh, supportive fifth year libero that was dealing with a couple injuries that uh, let the door open for me to play all the games uh, in my first year, which really kind of set my career uh, in an upward trajectory, which was very thankful for that. See, this, this is fascinating already because obviously you and I have talked before, you've been on Sharp Cuts, but... Looking at the stat lines, like I think your your career best is 27 digs, but it's not unusual for you to have like a normal game for you is like double digits, like 15 digs per set. And you didn't play the position until your summer going into university. Like I think coaches listening be like, no, libero is a pretty complex position and you got to do cue reading and you got to pick up on this stuff. So how did you learn the position so quickly that now you're you're on the national team a few years after where like you didn't play live in high school, you were a setter the whole time? Yeah, no, I uh, I played I played lib or yeah, just the summer, so not a not a ton of setting. Actually, in the, I ended up actually setting in university at some point as well for for UBCO <laughs> in my third year. 
So is uh, this just a credit to you playing backyard with your parents or like, how did you just become like a baller that you could play any position really that like, because setting a libero, like it's different contacts. Like you're getting second contact. Now you're getting all first contact reps. Like how did you pick it up so quickly? Yeah. The, the reception piece was definitely the, obviously a bit of a learning curve. I, uh, I, I think what really helped me was just, I've always been a really big student of the game. Like growing up, uh, there was a lot of world league and, kind of volleyball that was on YouTube and for me it was like that's what I spent my after uh, like after schools was just me watching watching a ton of volleyball um I think that really helped me out just with just being a student of the game and kind of picking up on things uh through video and like I know that we had we spoke about it last time I was on the on the podcast with uh just a lot of the libero work is done off the court and a lot of it's done through video and a lot of it is just picking up on little cues that you can that you can uh apply like when you're in the game and uh, I think that that I think that that really kind of like helped me curve my learning process a little bit. Like, uh, there's no replacement for for hard reps and that sort of stuff. Obviously, with service you, but defensively, I didn't I actually didn't find the transition to from one from playing in one to playing in five as uh, too much of a challenge. Nice, nice. So you mentioned there were some vets on the team when you got there, and that kind of like set the path for you. Uh, I'm curious, what were practices like at the university level when you first got there? Like, was there a noticeable difference from like uh, your high school and club situation to university? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's in some aspects for sure. I, I was definitely fortunate enough. Uh, our club team was was quite good. Uh, we we had a pretty high level group. I think we had five or six guys that ended up going playing uh, post secondary, uh, and five of them were at the at the CIS level. Um, so in that sense, the, the speed of the game wasn't that big of a jump up, but definitely, definitely the physicality was, uh, was the biggest adjustment, obviously just seeing some different angles and guys being able to do some different things using the block, uh, as well as just obviously some of the, some of the tempo balls from the back row where you know, you'd expect that they're going to try and hit it through your chest and then, you know, they're hitting the ball about two feet in front of you. And that was, that was probably the biggest thing that was a bit of a change for me. Uh, yeah. So how did your expectations change quickly where you knew you had to try out and you were willing to do the work and try out for the team where like all of a sudden you're an all rookie? Like, was that just a credit to like the work you were putting in? Was that a credit to like how strong the team was and you were just contributing on your level? Like, uh, it just seems like such an impressive journey to go from like, yeah, you're meddling in high school, but you're playing a different position to now you're a lib and you're playing in, I, I think, the best division in Canada, that Canada West division. And now you're an all rookie. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of credit that has to go to my teammates. Like, I'm pretty sure they, uh, we had a pretty, we had, a, we had some solid pin blockers that were able to kind of set up their block really well for me. And I was able to kind of just like score up on balls, uh, quite often. So that was, that was nice. But I mean, not to honk my own horn, but I definitely, I definitely work really hard. I still do. Like, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I'm pretty, pretty medically obsessive over, over every little thing in volleyball. It's always been like that. And, uh, I think that was kind of the biggest thing for me was just day in day out, making sure that I made that every session and making sure I got every contact and looking every every extra touch that I could. And, uh, yeah, they definitely had definitely a couple guys that uh, that could really let it rip. We had, uh, um, and those guys all went to, to play overseas, and that was kind of like my first real introduction to what the, the international level in physicality would be like. And I think that really helped me out moving forward, just being able to obviously just work with those guys for eight months. And I mean. For for two uh, for Alex and for Lars, I was able to work with them for three years, so that was pretty fortunate. 
And help me out with the timeline. I think you were a junior national team guy, and I think it listed as 2016. So was that after your first year you were a junior national team guy? Yeah. So, yeah, my first year was, like, yeah, it was pretty big roller coaster, obviously, with, uh, you know, going into the summer of grade 12, having not played the position. And then uh, by the end of the year, like, obviously getting the recognition of all the rookie team kind of kind of made me believe that I, that I could probably could, uh, go forward playing a libero because I, I always love the set like even even at practice I'd always jump in and try and set balls and stuff like that like I never really you never really let go of the setter position obviously because the, the practices revolve around you but I um but yeah the, the junior national team opportunity came around and really I, I went out there just as just for the experience you know I, a lot of my veterans encouraged me and my coach as well uh to just go out there and just get a feel for what it was because obviously like that's the next step up from Canada West and uh I didn't really have any expectations or anything like that. I actually didn't think I had a very good tryout. Um, and then, yeah, just lucky enough, they ended up keeping me in Jordan Pereira. And yeah, no, so that, that was that's the story of the junior national team. It was very surprising, honestly. Yeah, and name drop a couple other guys. Like, um, who else would have been on your your squad there with the junior national team? Juan, Vernon Evans, uh, Dan and Gemma, Tariq, uh, Sani. Um, Derek App, uh, CJ Gavlis, Matt Maudsley, trying to think, it's a couple others, Matt Paslant. Pretty much all of them are playing overseas now. Uh, El Pierceschenko, too, he's on our A team right now. Um, yeah, you know, it was a pretty star studded lineup back in the day. The 2016 crop was good. Yeah, you mentioned the tryout. So I'm curious, when you got there, were you looking around and you're like, oh, I, I know Jordan or I know this lib or you know, like there's just a ton of coaches and a ton of activity in the gym? Like, was there any nerves at all or did you have any expectations? Like, it sounds like you were pretty calm and pleasantly surprised when he made it. But what was it like during going into that experience? Definitely. It was a bit of a roller coaster. Well, first thing first, I, so we were trying out to play on the junior national team for the North Seca Championship. And the North Seca Championship was played with the Molten Volleyball versus the old Mikasa. And so that was the biggest shock to me at first because the old Mikasa is a complete knuckleball with the floaters versus the Molten, which is pretty flat. There's not a lot of movement on it and obviously a lot more bite when you're when you're hitting spin serve and that sort of stuff. Um, so that was a little nerve-wracking, obviously, first thing, coming into the gym and realizing we weren't even playing with the balls that I had just trained with for a month trying to dial in on. Um, but in terms of nerves, I, it's never... You know, like, I, I just love playing volleyball so much. Like, it's, I, I don't really, it's, maybe it sounds cliche, but I don't really get nervous. So like, it's not, you know, I'm, I'm in the gym every day being able to do something that I love. And, like, that's a privilege in itself. And uh, just keeping that in perspective, it, you know, really helped with not being nervous and that sort of stuff. And really just kind of enjoying it and being in the moment and taking it day by day kind of thing. I really didn't even put much thought to whether I was going to make it or not. Like, it was just, it was a week tryout and it flew by. And, yeah. So. And did you take anything from that experience? Because again, just looking at your stat lines, big numbers in your second year where you led Can West and Diggs. And uh, the fun fact it has in your blurb here on, on the team website uh, is 15 out of 24 of the matches you played, you had over 15 digs. So you're just like a ball hawk getting so many touches, right? So did you just have so much confidence going back to your school team that you're going to have a big impact? Yeah. Uh, actually, I had no idea that. That was a stat. I, that's huge. I don't know where even where you found that. Um, I yeah no. Well, the game started to slow down a little bit, especially defensively. Um, obviously in reception, it's still like I didn't 
I mean, I still haven't mastered the art of passing by any stretch, but it was definitely still a little bit of a grind um, to just kind of work through my second year. But defensively, it was it was definitely a lot smoother and just kind of habituating of, of being in that five position. And again, we had a, we had a really solid uh, pair of middle blockers that made my life really easy just in terms of they always closed a lot of blocks. We had a couple of big pin blockers as well uh, with Alex and uh, Christoph Schleidensweet was our, was our setter at the time. And he was, he was like six six five or six six with some long arms. So a lot of it was just the system that I was in. I was really lucky to to just have a have at the, we had an intern coach Brad Hudson who came in and kind of implemented more of a uh, system of just funneling me the ball and from there just worked out really well I think we probably had a couple of favorable home stat statisticians too that probably helped me out a little bit with that but um, yeah no lots lots of balls just coming my way so you're bound to dig a few one here and there. <laughs> Now, I, I think that's easier said than done in terms of, I think all that's coach speak where I'll get outside the shadow of the block or we're going to funnel to you. But for you, uh, did you find that you were kind of playing X marks the spot that you guys had a good base defense and balls were going to hit you? Or were you really having to read where the block was, what the set tempo was? Like when you say get outside the block and, and get funneled to you, uh, what did that involve just in your eye work or your positioning? Just so our listeners know, because uh, you're kind of being nonchalant. Like that was the year you had 27 digs in one game. Like w- w- when this funnel is really working, how much of it is a credit to the block and they're setting it really well versus you, you know, not being afraid to step left or right or whatever the situation calls for? I mean, it's a little bit of both, obviously. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's there's a ton of eye work that goes into it, right? You know, you're reading the pass quality going into then seeing where the setter if he's giving it away anything, obviously, you know, some setters are arching their back a bunch to if they're going to go backwards or they keep their hands really far forward, if they're going to set the left side or go forward. So taking those cues um, and then obviously applying it. So then you look at your, you look at your block, if they're popping or if you know they're in a read situation, that'll change uh, the, what I do on defense. And then from there, obviously, if you, if you read it uh, and stepping into just basically trying to get between the line of the ball and the ground, um, that's kind of my, that's so kind of like at least that's my process. Although, granted, now that we're uh, next gen here, we're learning a bunch of different things where that's kind of like changed a little bit. But definitely, definitely for Canada West, that was that was the the process was just really just trying to get my body between the ball and the, and the ground. And honestly, like a lot of the times when I would dig a ball, I, I would always come back to puddle and be like, man, like I'm so lucky. <laughs> there's, a, there's definitely a bit of an era of luck where like sometimes you just throw a ball at it, ball comes up, and sometimes you throw a ball at it and it just goes into the goes into the stands, but. Yeah, no, just just try and dig the ball and play a little hero ball here and there and works out. Now, even as a young man, like in your second year, could you tell the middles that they're late or you want the pin blocker to move in or out? Like, what's the communication between rallies? Like, did you feel like you had a voice or because you're a young guy and you're just taking it in that if they said they were taking line, you would just say, okay, you're taking line. Like, would you ever have any quick communication with the blockers? Yeah, definitely. Like that was that was definitely one of the things that I took a lot of pride in, uh, especially coming into my second year. Was just kind of being that that second coach on the court, you know, letting the guys know if I see anything. Especially in I was a uh, still still am just a big video head, right? So the stuff that I saw on video moving forward into the games would be the stuff that I would be correcting my my blockers on, right? So if you know, if we know that a middle is only hitting to one when he gets pushed forward and that sort of thing, right? And, you know, if our middle is in a read situation, it's just a little too far to the left. Then the next time through, I'm going like, hey, like, let's take a step here. Like, make sure we're popping, taking this ball away. We're trying to force him to a different direction. Um, and, yeah, I know that definitely got a good response from the guys in the team as well. Just with that, obviously, uh, my first year was a little tougher. Just 
obviously you got to like prove, you got to prove yourself to everybody before they start listening to you. But by the time my second year rolled around, it was, it's a lot easier to get through to those guys. And it, and it worked out pretty well just with uh, everybody responding and kind of a good cohesive blocking unit. So when you are watching tape and you're breaking somebody down, like uh, th- this is where probably Garrett and I disagree the most is I, if you use the example of a middle and I say, oh, well, the more, majority of the time he hits to five, Garrett would say, okay, well, we're going to block to five and he's going to hit the one. Like that's not supernatural. I'm going to go, well, I think he's going to hold the tendency a little bit longer. So I- I'm curious with your own experience, you're doing your prep. Uh, how much does it change in game for you? Like you watch video, you have your plan, and then how much are you aware of like the cat and mouse or the slight changes that they make versus are they going to stick to their tendency? Like, is there any art or science for you to figure out that like, okay, this is what they've done all season, but against us, this is what's happening now. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a bit of a game, like especially because obviously you, with the video, like you can't rely hundred percent on what you see on video. So obviously every game is different and people are going to make adjustments in game. But in terms of just trying to figure out, like trying to take the important things versus like leave the irrelevant stuff. Right. Like I really would just look at when I watch video and watch videos on hitters would be just making sure that I recognize like what kind of range they had. That was the first thing that I would see. Right. So if you have a guy that hits a really steep or will, and they hit it in front of you, didn't show a lot of stuff to deep corners and that sort of stuff. Right? That would adjust where I would kind of start my base defense, um, as well as like my blockers obviously telling them, hey, we don't necessarily have to be really high here. Like, let's make sure we're just getting positive pressing over. Um, and then from there, just, you know, really looking at what they're doing from an approach angle standpoint, right? So if, if you're coming in uh, from like, obviously as a middle, like sometimes you're, com- you're approaching from behind the setter and other times you're approaching from in front of the setter. And a lot of those times you'll see two very different outcomes depending on how a guy's arm works or depending on how he's able to externally or internally rotate the ball. Uh, so from there, just, you know, you make those notes and just kind of recognize that, hey, certain situations, he prefers to go here, he prefers to go there. But at the end of the day, you still kind of got to stay in your base defense and just kind of pack that away and uh, just kind of play what you see. But the more video I find that I watched, the more kind of like cues that I would pick up on in the game. And that made it a lot easier to kind of lead the ball. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm still trying to get that through to our, our beach defenders sometimes. We're like, this is what the shot chart says, but that set was low and inside. So like to use a Benjo quote, hitters hit where the ball is. So sometimes they're just going to cram it where maybe in like a pure optimal situation, they have this tendency versus if they're underneath it or it's behind them, they're not going to be able to like rip on one, right? So how have you found that balance where like, is it just trusting your eye work or how often are you changing your base defense uh, to kind of figure out these situations where it's kind of like, okay, I know this guy likes to hit back door, but in this situation, he's going to hit like sharp out the sideline to five because the blocker's taking pure line and the set's inside or whatever the factors are. Like how often are you kind of tagging up going, you know, this is what the tendency is today? Yeah, that's, that's kind of, that was always a bit of a tricky one, obviously, because for me, like, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, hey, you got to you gotta prove to me that you can do this repeatedly, right? And uh, I find that a lot of the time blockers will be pretty quick to jump to trying to ch- change something or trying to take a different shot away, even though it may not be necessarily where we know they want to hit. Um, so definitely, like, have to remind myself and remind the guys in the court, too, just being like, hey, like, just because you pounded one here doesn't mean we necessarily need to change it right away, right? Like, we need to... Like that's a difficult shot for him, and he may not be able to replicate that over and over again. Right? Same thing, similar thing with uh, with, with reception. Right? Like you see a guy who, who doesn't seem to have any sort of thumb down action on a service line, 
And, you know, he might, he might torch one down the line. You're going like, Hey, great swing. Like you got again, kind of thing. Like we're not going to step all the way to that line just because he faced us once. So yeah, you know, I think pretty much just if he beats me three times, well, twice, I'm thinking about it three times. I'm going like, okay, like what, what's going on here? Like, is it something, whether they've made an adjustment or is it something with their patterning that, uh, that they're trying to take advantage of something that we're doing as a blocking scheme. Um, and from there, if, if that happens a couple of times, then it's time to make a little bit of an adjustment on the base defense or, or up front. Now, th- this one I have my own personal bias towards, but I'm curious at your level what you found with serving. Because I think attacking athletes will have tendencies. There are situations, there are things that influence it where uh, even at your level with the national team or when you're playing in Canada West, do you guys have a favorite serve and they're going to hit their favorite serve this weekend, next weekend, and the weekend after? Or do you guys have the ability to change it and maybe maybe against you they want to target the P2 or the 1-6 seam and against Alberta they want to serve five? Like, are, are there guys who can change it or because of the velocity and the movement so important that they're just going to go strength on strength, best serve? Uh, yeah, no, there's definitely, like, it depends on the guy. That's a, that's a really good question because obviously I think, I think, offensively there's another component of the you know the setter setting the ball there's so many moving parts to it where like it may not be perfect every time so like in that sense like you don't guys will guys can only resort to their go-to swing when it's in a perfect situation whereas with servers it's a little different right because it's completely controlled by the server right like so you control your toss there's no other variables other than that if you make your toss you're going to go after it so i actually find that Generally speaking, you'll you'll see that guys will stick to the tendencies and the the serving map a little bit more than you would see uh, guys like with their range of hitting because of just the variables that would come with it. Um, at this level, you almost never see the same serve twice. Like all the best servers in the world, I would say you, they get you once, and then they're going to give you something completely different the next time. They never let you settle into a rhythm. Um, I'd say that they still stick to their stick to their like tendencies for the most part, except for the really really high level guys. But in terms of like the like the depth in which that they're serving it and speed as well will change very frequently. Yeah, that's so interesting. Like in your own theory, why do you think that is? Like I'm thinking like a baseball reference. Like if somebody can't hit a curveball, you better believe if you get two strikes against you, they're going to throw a curveball. Like why do you think servers in volleyball are so eager to change it versus like, oh, I just got these guys on the one six team. I'm going to pound away at the one six team until they change it. Like what? Why do you think there's so much urgency to like change it or try to be tricky from the service line? I think it's just because you don't want to let you just don't want to let your the receivers settle into a rhythm. Like I think especially as you get into the higher levels, like everybody's an amazing passer. Everyone's an amazing server. And really like if you're putting on, I, w- I would rather pass the ball. It's 120 K right at me. than have a guy serve it maybe like a hundred, 105 kilometers, but it's like a cutty in a seam where it starts on one guy and cuts into another. Like I think with that, it's just their speed, spin and depth are killers. And if you can, isolate certain ones and if you can move guys around and if you can make sure that you you have people guessing and thinking and not being like really calm on the bait or uh, as the reception group then you're already winning the battle right and then you're from you're actually going to get more success i think of knocking people out of uh in system because of that because you're already like you know you're just causing so much confusion on the baseline right if you come from if you hit a rocket and the next one you're trying to drop on the attack line 
Like you got guys on their heels, and then from there, I think you're going to have a way better chance of acing them versus giving the same guy two nukes in a row in the exact same spot. Like I would take my chances on that guy passing that ball the second time pretty well. And I'm always curious how the the relationship or the leadership comes in here. Like, how have you built a relationship with your other receivers where when you tell a guy to step left or to pinch out or you're going to take a bigger uh, lane that they're like, yeah, this is going to help us score points versus they're like, man, Riso thinks I'm shit and that's why he wants me to step left or he wants to squeeze out. Like, how are you managing the outsides and just empowering them that they're good receivers too, but at the same time, I'm taking a bigger lane because this guy's going to have a chew and I want to get the touch here versus isolating like your guy, right? Yeah, no, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of management of, of egos in that sense, but especially as you get to know your team and get to know the guys around you, obviously like nothing that I nothing that I tell people on the court has anything to do with anything personal, uh, about whether like I you know, like if I if I pinch you out, it's it's not because I think you're a, a crappy passer, it's because of we're trying to help out our offense, right? Like we're trying to free you up for a swing and that sort of stuff. Um so in Canada West it was definitely it's definitely a bit, a little bit more of like you got to build the foundation of, of a relationship, and you know guys will start to trust you, and guys will you know like they don't take it personally and that sort of stuff. Uh, but it's definitely kind of an acquired thing versus at at this level at the national team where they're you know people understand it's 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 not not personal by any stretch, right? Like it's all it's all for the team at the end of the day. Like it's not hey I'm trying to take this ball because I want to bump my stats up or I want to get this look. It's I want to take this ball because I think that if I take myself out, we still have everyone else to hit and everyone else can do their jobs versus, hey, like you're on the ground and you just passed that ball, but now we can't set you. Nice, nice. And how much cat and mouse game have you found to play with the servers? Like, because they're taking advantage of, like you said, speed, spin, and depth. Do you ever change your depth? Do you ever change? Are you closer to the uh, other receiver beside you? Are you further away? Like, is there anything you've done to kind of mess with their rhythm? Or like when a guy's back there, like you're training against like Nick Hogan, he's in rhythm. Do you just know you're in trouble at that point? Or what can you do to manipulate it so they don't feel as confident going back when they're on like their second, third, fourth, fifth serve? Yeah, no, I really, my biggest thing, I really love to play with the servers. Like, not so much with my depth of how far up or how far back I'll stand. Like, that's pretty uh, standard. But a lot of the times, like, we'll do uh, just a lot of, like, pinching left, pinching right, or, like, especially uh, showing something. And then as they toss to stepping into where we know we're, like, into our actual system, right? So, if we're, like, for a guy that's going to be burning balls down the line some one to five, Maybe we're going to hey, be like, hey, like, you know, we're going to show him this line because we would rather incentivize him to serve it there. But then we're going to all step left to be like, hey, like, you know, like you're not going to hit it through us kind of thing. And we're banking on the fact that we're, we're a good enough reception group to be able to, like, uh, bend and not break. Um, and then even just playing with fours too, right? Like you show four where you, you get a guy that's getting going. And if you, especially with the good servers, right? Like a lot of the time, like they, like, it's, like I was saying, like, they're not going to give you two in a row that are like really hard, or at least they might be really hard, but they're going to be in different spots and that sort of stuff. Um, but with certain guys, you know, that you can show four and then go to three, or it's kind of like a fake format where like, you just have them there as a kind of a deep boy being like, Hey, like serve this guy and I'm going to jump in front of them. Just little things like that, where I feel like you, as long if you can make the if you can make the server just think an extra second, especially when he's in the air and on toss. If you see some sort of movement, I think I've had generally a little bit more success with either getting an error, getting something where it seems a little more off speed, or something that they're they're just trying to be a little more tactical because the better servers know that they're not going to blow up for four man reception groups. 
Um, and then you can obviously just, you're sitting on it and being ready to jump on the shorties and stuff like that. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get back to some, some very technical, tactical stuff when we talk about uh, what you're doing in Gatineau, but, uh, just to kind of wrap up your university career, uh, I understand there was a point, uh, with your career where you left the team actually. And I'm curious, how did you not treat that as a death sentence and be like, Oh, my high performance volleyball career is over. Like now you're back in the team. The, the team's doing well. You're with the national team where like getting removed from the team wasn't the end of your volleyball career. So I'm just curious if it's not too personal, if you don't mind touching on that when, when you left UBCO there for a season. Yeah, no. Well, unfortunately wasn't, wasn't making a ton of really good decisions uh, back in the day. Uh, back in the day a couple, it was in my fourth year. Um, and yeah, definitely just had to step away from the game for a little bit and just had to really ask the questions of like, what, what was important to me and what was, what did I really want to do with my life and what did I love doing? And uh, it, it became really clear to me right away that after a couple of weeks of not playing volleyball, I, I just realized that I, obviously I knew immediately that I made a huge mistake, but after two weeks, it was one of those things that I had pretty, pretty much had made up my mind that from there on out, everything that I was going to do from that moment on was going to be to work towards to getting back to um, getting back to the national team and that sort of stuff. And it was definitely a bit of a shock to the system. Obviously, it's like uh, being from Kelowna and playing in Kelowna and having that happen, the word spreads and that sort of stuff with, you know, rumors swirling about what happened and that sort of thing. And just one of those things where I, I had to put my head down and kind of hide away for a little bit, not necessarily like hiding from the attention or like dealing with the repercussions of my actions and that sort of stuff, but just uh, just keeping everything in perspective of what I really wanted to do. Um, and that, that's what that led. So that started with falling in love with the gym again, getting my work in off the court, like making sure that my body was 100% right when I came back to playing volleyball and that sort of thing. Um, making sure that I had mended the relationships with my teammates and making sure that I mended the relationships with the administration uh, at the school to make sure that I was allowed to come back, making sure that I mended the relationship with my head coach, who Brad Hudson was has always been the most supportive guy of me. He always believed in me, which is. I used to tell him when we would have meetings and stuff like that, when we were playing in my second and my third year, he, he would just be like, man, like, I just believe that you can do better than this. I believe that you can, that you can lead this team, that you can go on to great things. And I would tell him that, man, like, I don't want to lead teams. I don't, I like, I'm not that person. Like I make bad decisions. Like, and I mean, down the line, obviously now it's, it's pretty crazy to see that he kind of like saw that in me and stayed stayed the course and kept on believing in me because I, I, I wouldn't be here without that sort of support and that sort of belief because I'm a pretty confident guy and I, you know, it, it's one thing to kind of tell yourself that you're going to get back there and that you're going to be one of the best players again. You're going to get back to the peak of your powers, but it's another thing to hear from your coach and to hear from your teammates that, you know, they support you and that they're going to be able to, to be with you along the way to get back on the journey that you were already on kind of thing. Um, so I was just really fortunate to have a really great group of people around me, family, teammates, uh, friends, just, just everybody who made that possible because it's, it's, it's really a team effort, like, especially when you miss, when you miss a year and a half and then the COVID year and just, it's one of those things that if it's not all hands on deck, then you're kind of in trouble, right? It's about you got to go and you got to make up for lost time kind of thing. And I was fortunate enough to just have the right people in, in my camp. For sure. And, and I, I know for sure it wasn't like one incident and there wasn't one moment that did this. But uh, I'm curious when you're rebuilding trust with teammates and with coach, 
what were some things that you wanted to be consistent at or you wanted to be upfront with? Because like uh, the, the worst thing to me that could happen in that situation is a few guys on the team go, you know what? We, we don't want Eli around. We don't want him because of this reasons. Like, what did you go out of your way to connect with guys for? What did you want to be consistent? Like, were you always on time? Were you always hardworking? Like, how did you kind of mend this bridge? Because trust is one of those things where it's, it's pretty easy to lose and it's hard to regain. So I'm just curious when you look back, like, what were some things that stood out that you're like, I- I'm going to win these guys back because I'm going to do this, this, and this. Yeah, I definitely think that that was a big part of the process. Uh, and for me, like, I've always been a big believer in that actions speak a lot louder than words. You know, I, there's always a lot of people that'll speak a lot of fluff and they'll tell you that they want to do this and they want to do that, but they never really, like, those actions don't reflect it. Um, and so for me, like, I, I just really let my actions do the talking. I told, you know, like, the, I, I had interviews with the captains, uh, Max Apple, Taylor Ardenaz, those guys kind of. You know, they, they they gave me the gears a little bit, like just making sure that like I was in the right space to make sure that I wanted to come back. But at the end of the day, my I, what I told them was like, hey, like day one when I'm in the gym, like you're gonna know. And day at the like at the end of the year, you're still gonna be thinking the same thing. And so for me, it was just being like, I'm gonna be everyone in the gym every morning. I'm gonna go to every single rep session. I'm gonna go to every single lift session. I'm gonna try and bring as many guys as I can into this little healthy circle of let's just live volleyball. Let's just do this. Like um maybe not so great for the academic side of things. So that's kind of what we had a little bit of uh or some people obviously going to university want to go on to do other things other than volleyball, which for me is not the case. <laughs> and uh yeah, so just trying to drag as many people into my little circle of just going every day. And and since I've been back on the team, I, I ended up in my three three years back afterwards, I missed two rep sessions in three years. And we did three or four rep sessions a week, and that's kind of where it started. And then from there, it kind of evolved into dragging everyone to work out and trying to talk about like just like what we need to do to be successful and trying to lead kind of that charge of Hey, like let's put our heads down and let's get our work in because we can do something really special here. Like we can we can make a run at it, but we all gotta do it together. There's no more individual stuff and just trying to make sure that we as as many people who would listen on my team, I would fill their ear with all the positive stuff and try and drag them in the gym and just, just lead by that example. Now, I want to choose my words carefully because I don't think anyone benefited from this break during COVID. I think it was painful, especially for your generation that like now you're on school online, you don't get to compete, you don't get to do stuff. But as you look back, was that maybe a blessing in disguise that you were behind in reps and you're behind in the gym that like maybe you thrived the most during COVID because you just needed those reps and you didn't need as much game sitch as the other guys? Absolutely. I mean, so the only the only downside, obviously, with COVID is that we weren't able to do any blocking things. So the defensive part of things where my reps kind of missed out on, uh, that was difficult. But in terms of in terms of winning COVID or winning the COVID season, I would say our, our school did a great job with that. Like we were all hands on deck with reps and with uh, with working out, and definitely it was definitely a blessing in disguise for sure. Because and granted, like it wasn't just for me, it was for the other guys on our team. Like we've always had really athletic kind of range of guys that had a ton of potential, but never really had the time or like the drive, I think to, to make the gains in the gym during the season. And we were lucky enough to see about a season. But games are also, that was something that 
uh, me and the veteran kind of core and our and our team just really put it to all the young guys and challenge them and be like, hey, like this is our year to catch up. If we've always felt like we've been a step behind physically than these other teams in the league, we felt like we had the systems and the bodies to place to, to be successful. But it was a matter of just putting our work in in the gym and making sure that we weren't just putting our work in on the court and kind of extending from there. And yeah, we were really really fortunate with how that worked out, and we're really. Also very fortunate to be able to train in our gym. And, uh, we had pretty limited shutdowns and we didn't really have a lot of like setbacks in terms of not actually being able to to play. We didn't have a ton of COVID outbreaks or anything like that. Or, 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 or school, there was a lot of kind of like setbacks where they weren't able to practice and that sort of stuff. And we were pretty much able to get a, besides like a two-week stretch, like a pretty much uninterrupted five days a week of training, working out, getting reps every morning, like, and with no one else in the gym either. So extended reps, like you get two, three hours and then go work out. And then, especially with schooling online, you can just bring your laptop in the, in the workout room and you just put your AirPods in and you just be listening to what was going on in class unless you actually had to do any work or anything like that. But for lectures and that sort of stuff, it just worked out super, super well. Nice. Nice. So uh, I know there's a lot to cover. I would like to skip ahead to the national team stuff. And I'm just curious what was the emotion when you got the email that you were going to get invited? Cause obviously Ben Joe's a new coach and he's got a new philosophy and instead of like an open tryout over three, four, five days, now it's going to be like a three week grind and, and it's a who's who of a list who got the invite. So uh, I'm curious, when did you kind of know what Ben Joe's plan was? And then how, what was your reaction when you knew you were going to be a part of it? Uh, definitely a lot of excitement, man. Like it's uh, obviously as a volleyball player, like, my goal is to just play in the highest level gym and to be around the best players and be around the smartest volleyball minds that I possibly can just try and sponge up as much as I can. Um, so first reaction was just extremely excited. Definitely getting to the camp, obviously some nerves, like not, not during, but just like, it's almost just surreal that, that I was, that I'm able to be back in this position. Um, it, you know, obviously at times it didn't really seem like that was going to be an option. And I really thought that I'd, I had completely shot my volleyball career down in one court swift decision, but um, yeah, no, it's 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 just been I, the three week trials. It's just it's awesome. Like I think I think it's so good for for like Canada as a whole. Like even the guys that ended up getting cut didn't make it. Like all of the systems work that we did, and all of the philosophies now that we that we're able to kind of like implement and bring down into the look into Canada West where when in these three weeks so well like uh we have, we have hawk hudson um dan oda uh dalhousie uh nate from york uh the u of m coaches here even uh, even kicking for this but <laughs> can't remember his name um but yeah, just just having just having so many good volleyball players, good volleyball minds, and guys that uh, want to be here for the same reasons, and then being able to kind of pass that down through the feeder program is, I think, it's just it's just going to lead to so much growth and so much expansion in our game in Canada. It's just, yeah, it's 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 been amazing. 
Now, obviously, there's a lot of excitement in the gym and there's a lot of learning, but I'm curious from your own perspective because uh, I was speaking to one of your guys uh, when because you guys just had a week off kind of leading into like the A team played France and stuff, but you guys kind of got a little time off. So uh, I saw one of the guys at the beach and he's talking about what the middles are running and the pipe overload and all this new offense that Benjo's doing. I was like, oh, so do you guys do like a lot of individuals and a lot of rep based stuff? He's like, no, like guys are like serving 100 kilometers from like the service line and we're expected to run like our middle pipe overload and we're supposed to run the offense. He's like, that is fascinating. Like, I think that's so fun, but it's got to be so frustrating that like, what's that situation like where, you know, the setters are just getting ripped on, like which way is the middle going and what's the offense. And you're in charge of like receiving a serve from Byron or Nick or guys just like leaning into these balls. Like what's it like in that practice environment? Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's a trial by fire for sure. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, you got to do your part to try and help the drills out for sure. But uh, overall, I think, with the new system and that sort of stuff, I think we're at a level now in this gym where we're able to kind of we're we're able to to do those things because we're not very intentional with our work. Ben's very, Ben makes sure that when we're doing our drills and when we're doing um, any sort of offensive system work, that it's very clear on what the expectation is in terms of serving and reception, and he makes sure that everybody when we're doing these drills are getting what we're supposed to be getting out of it. Uh, and I think that kind of eliminates those needs for for rep sessions in the sense that we still use the rep sessions for for technical work and for for being able to kind of like iron out some habits that we're trying to drill. But uh, when we're actually in camp and when we're doing these drills, it's very uh, it's very focused. And, and because we're in a group of we're in a group with a bunch of professionals and guys that are very intentional with their work, it allows us to kind of like get through kind of those kind of shaky areas where if yeah guys are bombing balls at us, but at the same time it's like they know that regardless of the situation that we're in, when we're in reception, whatever situation we're put in, like whether it's an out-of-system ball, an in-system ball, or something that's kind of in the middle, it's been explained to us, this is what we're supposed to do, this is where we're running, and from there we can still get better and benefit from from all the balls that you're going to see. Now, as a learner, did you ever find yourself getting frustrated or just overwhelmed that everything was live and there's just like the drill could break down if you don't pass the ball well? Or like, uh, how did you kind of overcome it? Because I'm sure it normalizes after a certain point, but what were those first few days like where everything's just so live, but there's so much focus on what needs to happen? Yeah, definitely a lot of information got thrown at us in the first couple, even in the first week and moving forward, like uh, working with Dan Lewis has been been challenging like he's he's a brilliant brilliant guy and just but learning the new techniques and trying to break old habits of of passing that you know we've i've ingrained for how many years and stuff like that so definitely try it's been really there has been some frustrating moments and that sort of stuff uh but make sure that you obviously keep it in perspective that it's all really just part of the process and you know you're not going to be perfect every day and you know some days you're not going to have good days but it's all about being able to bounce back and all the good days you have and it's all about trying to stack those days and that sort of stuff so it's just it's all about kind of that mindset uh day in day out it's a grind and you got to recognize that when you're around such a high level guys that you know you're not going to be not going to be perfect all the time and it's also kind of nice to see like there's there's no one that's perfect in our gym like we have a lot of really 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 high level guys that will go on to play professional do some amazing things overseas you know even those guys still mess up sometimes and that's it's 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 humbling everyone makes mistakes and like no one in the gym is like burning you for for making an error or whatever because they know that we're all just working through the same thing everyone's 
being intentional and working on whatever they've been told or whatever they're trying to get, get through. And it's just a matter of just keeping your head down, staying on the grind. And what's it like just picking Dan Lewis's brain? Because the libero room is pretty young right now, right? Like it's you and Justin Louie and a few other guys who are still in, in post-secondary, right? So what, what are those conversations like? Just like everybody's learning together and it seems like it's a pretty similar level where, you know, we, we can maybe credit this to like, it's really hard for uh, a Canadian libero to get a contract overseas. That's why like the Matsons and the Duquettes and the Jeremy Davies have all moved on. So with the position being so, so young right now and Blair kind of just uh, recovering this summer, what's what's it like uh being around a group that's so eager to learn and so fired up it's it's all like there's uh there's there's so many cool things that dan has to share with us and that sort of stuff he's so he's got so much experience and so much so much wealth and knowledge and just obviously it's it's a lot it's so, so nice to be with a group of guys that are also just really supportive of each other you know like i'd say that as a group of, of liberos like i think we're we're pretty tight in a group like uh just kind of similar to what jay was saying about the setters like i think we're, we're you know at the end of the day we're competing against each other but we're also here to support each other because we're it's team first and you know we say this a lot in our gyms like we want to be the first cycle of people that that win a medal for canada at the olympics and and that's the goal so there's no reason to like we're not dragging each other down when we're here working and stuff like that because at the end of the day it could be any of us that are going to be representing Canada at the Olympics and we're all just working towards that same goal and regardless if it's Louis, JP, me, Ben, anybody who's playing libero at that position if if, if we win a medal at the Olympics in 2024 then that's a, that's a team success, that's group success. Like I'll feel proud that I have. I'll, role in that and that I supported whoever is out there and if it's me I'm sure the other guys will feel the same way man that's that's so cool to hear and, and thank you for sharing I know you're a busy guy you got training you got lifts going on uh VNL's in Ottawa right now which is awesome to see the boys going over to support and check it out and, and take advantage of that situation so uh, I won't take up too much of your time but uh, one thing we've built into a tradition on the show is just to tell a funny or unique story to close it out so we, we've heard about your career we've heard about your playing on the highest level and on a great path here but man something odd or funny must have happened along the way that hopefully you can share a laugh with us uh yeah no i actually have one pretty recently um it's a funny story more so but uh we so one of the things that dan lewis has taught us is that it's actually worse to flinch at balls versus just taking a ball in, a fa- in the face uh he's made a point to prove that the the forehead or the top of your head is actually a lot better to take a ball off your head than you're to take it off the side of your face um and we were doing uh, a digging drill with him and it was chris ball on a box and uh whatever they're just hitting balls down the line at us and so we're kind of like turning flinching like it's you know he's, he's taking pretty good pulls at it and dan just stops the drill and goes like what the f are you doing like are you guys effing stupid like you gotta you can't you can't move away from the ball like you just gotta get your head into it and kind of like looking at him like he's like okay like what do you mean well you should hey chris like good ball just throw the ball like same speed as what he, he's been hitting. He's got a headbutt the ball. Tries to dig it with his head. Goes ahead, Chris, do it again. Same thing. Just toss it down the line. Just smashes it with his forehead. And he goes like, "See, like you can dig the ball with your head. I'm fine. Like we're good." And obviously, we're all looking at him in the line, going like, "This guy is a nut." So that was uh, that was probably my first uh, Dan Lewis kind of experience. Where I'm like, "Okay, like this guy is uh, he's." He may have a screw loose from time to time, but he's a mad genius. And uh, yeah, so so now we're we're trying. To, we obviously 
once we saw that, we were like, oh, we got to try that. So now when we watch on video, you see all the liberos lining up behind him. And now he leaves and now Chris is hitting balls at her head and we're all trying to dig it with our head. <laughs> I'm sure the trainers don't love walking in and seeing that drill, but it's got to be fun for the boys to be going through that. Oh, 100%. Yeah, a couple of them started having their phones out while they're filming us trying to dig with their head. So this, uh, the run joke is now that's what, we, that's what we're learning at Team Manage, to dig the ball with their head. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thanks so much for, for coming out Passing Dimes. Like I said, I thought you were great on Sharp Cuts, and it's just good to get a little bit more behind the scenes and hear about your career. And, uh, yeah, it, it's great. I know we didn't cover everything today, but thanks for sharing all that you did, and, and best of luck with this summer and everything else you got going on. I'm, I'm sure we'll be talking volleyball for a lot of years now. It sounds like you're dialed in, and it's just exciting to see your journey. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on.